Uh, I just, I just so appreciate them. I so appreciate them. Um, I don't. I'm finally getting the hang of some things here, <laughs> and I noticed that we haven't drawn attention to those folders in the in the pews much lately. So. Uh, if you would send them back and forth, there are attendance folders, and if you'd just send those back and forth, we would appreciate it. And if you're new here, especially fill it out so uh, we can get to know you a little bit, and uh, you can stop out at the Welcome Center, and we got some gifts for you out there. Um, so that, that's enough from, from me. Um, <laughs> I need a bigger table. I wrote a prayer, actually it was yesterday. I just want to share it with you. Abba, as I write this prayer of thanksgiving, snow is gently falling, reminding me again of your tender, compassionate concern for my well-being. And I thank you for your outrageous love for me whether I can feel it or not. I have experienced across the years what I consider to be your miracles for me. They sustain me in the dry seasons of prayer when no answer is forthcoming except your desire for me to keep coming to you because you, you really love hearing from me. And sometimes it's about climbing up in your lap and being quiet because we have come to know one another's heart. Not that I know your heart completely, Lord. That's, that's not it. But I know your heart enough to know you love me. And it's okay for me to just spend time with you in silence. There may be others here who question your ways or your silence as they cry out to you. Help us to trust that you still know all things and you understand our hearts. In your sovereignty, bring to us your peace. As we look upon your son and all he has done for us, above all, Help us by your Holy Spirit to be thankful and faithful as your sons and daughters. Thank you that you have given us, brothers and sisters in this family of faith, and the mystery of their prayers for us when our prayers don't seem to get past the ceiling. Grant us your peace, O oh God. As we pray in your dear son's name, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, we read these words. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I think that that would change things around here if we really practiced that. And as I have spent time with you and with the staff here at Brown Corners Church, I, I have become increasingly aware of two difficult shifts, that's what I'm going to call them, a shift, that are right in the works here at Brown Corners. And they're both happening at the same time. There is a shift in leadership for what we would call governance of the church as we move toward elder rule. And at the same time, there is a shift in the ministry 
and the focus that we are placing upon making disciples. Either shift in and of itself will generate an uneasiness within us because we don't know what it's going to look like. And for that reason, I am suggesting that all of us need an extra measure of grace so we can be kind and understanding and forgiving toward each other and toward leadership. I say that because leaders, and that includes pastors like me, are human. <laughs> In case you didn't know that, just ask my wife. And it's really a rare thing for us to get everything right the first time. Leadership is also traveling a pathway few have been down before. COVID forced us to close for a season. And that raised a multitude of questions with no real clear answers. And the, and the waters are still muddy today. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to trust? But then we had to wrestle with opening our doors again. And no one has been totally at ease or happy with leadership's decisions. A few have decided to stay away and do church from home through media, which has been both a, a blessing and a curse. It's been a blessing because people could listen to the word of God as it was being proclaimed and Sometimes they could sing along with, with, uh, with the TV and so on, but, but it also has its curse because you don't get to experience this fellowship, this being together, which is so important. I highly recommend a book by Dallas Willard, called The Divine Conspiracy, Rediscovering Our Hidden Life in God. And I recommend it for anybody who's struggling with change in the church and questions about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. For far too long, we have been giving people information, God's truth, we teach children in Sunday school how to be good. And we teach adults truth. And we hope that it's enough and that it'll make a difference in their lives. But my friends, truth standing by itself does not necessarily bring about the transformation of a person's life that we are hoping for. Truth is vital. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the truth of God's word is absolutely necessary. We must have it. But the word of God needs something else if change at the heart level is going to be achieved. The Holy Spirit of God needs your assistance in helping other believers practice living a life of love like Jesus did. And that is where discipleship enters the picture. Let me share with you a few quotes from Dallas Willard's book. And he has two chapters, chapter eight and nine. They're all about discipleship. Uh, if I can find the right place. Non-discipleship is the elephant in the church. It is not the much discussed moral failures, financial abuses, or the amazing general similarity between Christians and non-Christians. 
These are only effects of the underlying problem. The fundamental negative reality among Christian believers now is their failure to be constantly learning how to live their lives in the kingdom among us. And it is an accepted reality. The division of professing Christians into those who those who have a wholehearted life devotion to God and those who maintain a consumer or client relationship to the church has now been an accepted reality for over 1,500 years. And we wonder why we might happen to be in a rut. Going on a little more. The second thing for us to do, if we are to make apprentices to Jesus, is to intend to make disciples. I like the word he uses there. How many of you have been an apprentice before? Can I, a few of you? Well, not many. Not many of you are in the trades then. An apprentice was somebody who would go to class, yes, to learn the principles of a job. But then they would practice with somebody watching over them to see that they were doing it right. And so Dallas Willard talks about us being apprentices to Jesus. And he goes on to say, it must be our conscious objective, consciously implemented to bring others to the point where they are daily learning from Jesus how to live their actual lives as he would live them if he were they. God is not asking you to be anybody other than who you are. He wants you to live your life as Jesus would live your life if he were you. Something very freeing about that. That implemented intention would soon transform everything among professing Christians as we know them. For example, much time is spent among Christians trying to soothe over hurt feelings or even deep wounds given and received and to get people to stop being angry, retaliatory, and unforgiving. But suppose instead we devoted our time to inspiring and enabling Christians and others to be people who are not offendable and not angry and who are forgiving as a matter of course. That might change things some, wouldn't it? One more quote. We can pour ourselves into a few people without fanfare, and soon they can begin sharing the work of forming other disciples. You can count on it to spread, for in truth, there is nothing on earth to compare to it. Finally, we would speak, teach, and if that is our place, preach the gospel of the kingdom of the heavens in its fullness. Practically, that means that our various communications, in our various communications, we focus on the Gospels and on teaching what Jesus himself taught in the manner he taught it. A little further on. The appeal and power of Jesus' call to the kingdom and discipleship is great. And people generally of every type and background will respond favorably if that call is only presented with directness, generosity of spirit, 
intelligence, and love, trusting God alone for the outcome. No bullying. We may not soon have bigger crowds around us, and in fact, they may for a while even get smaller. But we will soon have bigger Christians for sure. This is what I call church growth for those who hate the term. And bigger crowds are sure to follow for the simple reason that human beings desperately need what we bring them, the word and reality of the kingdom of God among us. Jesus had a complaint against the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.4. And his complaint was that they had abandoned the love they had at first. They had abandoned the love that they had at first. And I think Jesus is primarily thinking of the love that they had for one another. What does Jesus, the one who has received from the Father all authority in the heavens and on the earth, want us to be doing here at Brown Corners Church? If he is calling us out into the world, and I believe he is doing just that, what is our will for us out there? Not in here, out there. To me, the answer is the same as he gave to his first disciples. Go and make disciples of everyone. Anyone who will listen to him. And last Sunday, we looked at empowering leadership as the first quality characteristic of a healthy and growing church. And in your bulletins, you have a list um, a list of all eight quality characteristics of a healthy and growing church. I don't know where I put my list. Some of it's around. But there are eight quality characteristics. And a brief description is, is given there for you along with a suggested passage to meditate upon. And I say meditate upon it because the first time you will read it, you will say, what on earth does that have to do with the subject? And so I want you to let God's word kind of circulate through your, through your mind and through your soul and ask him, Lord, speak to me. You speak to me about this. Note the quote from Christian Schwartz, who is the founder of, of uh, Natural Church Development. He says, when it comes to the church, to church life, there is no distinction between personal development and church development. There's no difference. There's no distinction. We develop the church by developing people. We increase the quality of the church by increasing the quality of the people. We facilitate the health of the church by facilitating the health of people. Guess what? You and I are the people. <laughs> and God wants to develop us. And as we are developed, so will his church be developed. I believe with all my heart that empowering leadership, gift-based ministry, and holistic small groups can help Brown Cornish Church move forward with Jesus and his Holy Spirit to impact our communities for Christ and his expanding kingdom. I am aware that Brown Corners Church has made it possible for anyone 
to discover their spiritual gift or gifts, plus being able to learn more about the uniqueness of who you are as a person that God has created and the passions that you may have towards certain groupings of people. These are assessments. It is not a test. It is not a test. It's an assessment. There are no right or wrong answers. And the only scores given will be your list of gifts from the top to the bottom. It's a tool. It's a tool to help you better understand yourself and why you like some things and don't like others. And by the way, I have found that knowing my bottom gifts was extremely freeing for me. It allowed me to finally be able to say no without guilt and, and to kind of push off the pressure that somebody else was trying to use to get me to do something. Like Herb, we need a second or third grade Sunday school class teacher. Um, <laughs> I said once, yes. <laughs> and it was a disaster for me and the kids. I couldn't, I couldn't handle those kids. I mean, they ran all over me. And besides that, they got bored with what I was talking about. And you know what happens to kids when they are bored? They find other things to do. But being able to say, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, don't teach, I don't teach little kids. In fact, I probably begin being able to teach at around high school age. Don't put me with junior hires either. Hey, I love them, but don't put me with them. And I, and I am amazed, I am amazed by those people who just love junior hires. <laughs> I said, what's wrong with you? No. <laughs> but uh, being able to say no allows you to say yes. And when you can say yes to those things that line up with who you are and the gifts that God has given to you, oh, you will discover joy and effectiveness. The only requirement for an accurate feedback about you is that you be brutally honest with yourself in answering questions on the assessment. That is the hardest part, I guarantee you. Because as an adult, I wasn't that used to being that honest about me. It was easier to hide and be somebody else. I, early in my ministry, I tried to think that I could be like Billy Graham. And I would preach my heart out and I would give the invitation and nobody would come forward. So I had to wrestle with the fact that, okay, I'm not a Billy Graham. And over the course of time, I began to learn God wanted me to be Herb. And God would use Herb in whatever way he wanted to. So when you learn about your spiritual gift and how God has put you together and wired you for dealing with the people around you. That takes care of step one. Step two will take a little more time and effort on your part, along with help from staff and friends who might say to you, you know, I see you in this way. You do? I don't see myself that way. Well, well, wait a minute. Maybe there, are, maybe there is something there. The passage you were given to read and meditate upon is, is very important when it comes to serving Jesus. Luke 19, 
11 through 28. I hope you, ha I hope you had a chance to read through that. It's an interesting parable. It's an interesting story. He's been dealing with scribes and Pharisees, and you know that Jesus had trouble with those people. They were the religious elite. They had it all together. There was nothing wrong with them. And he had his trouble with them. It is a story about a king who is going away. And he gives resources. He gives gifts to his servants. To one he gives ten. To another he gives five. To a third he gives one. And then he goes off expecting his servants to manage what they have been given. The first uh, time the king comes back, he calls the servants in and asks them, well, how did, how did you do? So the first one says, you gave me 10, I, I made 10 more. Good job. Excellent. Matthew says, in another passage, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so the first implication of this passage is that Jesus knows what we're capable of doing. And he gives us gifts that match our ability. God is not going to call you to do something you can't do. He will only call you to do what he knows you can do, and especially if he helps you along the way. Another implication is that he expects us to use the gifts and resources that he places in our hands so that his kingdom benefits from our efforts. He wanted things to happen. He still wants things to happen. And he wants us to be involved. And for the life of me, sometimes I wonder why. Because whenever I get involved and try to do something, especially on my own, I inevitably mess it up. And I say, God, you could do this far better by yourself. But he says to me, Herb, that's not my plan. He says, my plan is to use you. And so I need you to kind of step back a little bit and, and let me work in you and lead you and guide you and you see what we can do together. That's amazing, isn't it? God wants to use us. God wants to use you. And the third implication in the story is a rather sober one. Because in the first part of the story, the king is leaving. And there are some in the audience who are going, yeah, he's leaving. I hope he doesn't come back. We don't want him as our king. Well, this one guy who got one gift said, well, I, I don't know what to do with this. So he, he did, or does, or, you know, he did. What a lot of us do, if we don't quite know what it is we're supposed to do, we hide the gift. He dug a hole, put it in, left it there. So when the king comes back, he asks his servant, well, how did you do? He says, oh, he says, I know you're a hard man. I know that, that you reap where you don't sow, and I've seen the miracles, and, 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 and he goes on, and here is your gift. I'm giving it back to you. He kind of brushes things off a little, but here it is. And the king says, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a hard man. You knew that I 
do miracles. You know that I reap where I don't sow. Why on earth didn't you at least put it in the bank so I could have interest on it? Take that gift away from him and give it to the one who has the ten. He wasn't happy with that servant. And I think if you and I ignore the gifts and resources that God gives us, if we, get, we ignore them, um, there may be a rude awakening someday. One of the harshest things that you find in your Bible is found next. He says, bring those people to me who didn't want me as king and slaughter them before me. <laughs> ah, Jesus is coming back someday and he's coming back as king. And those who don't want him as king are in trouble. And, but until he comes back again, you and I have the chance to get out there and let them know that there is a king coming back. And when he comes back, if they don't know him, they are going to be in serious trouble. I don't know if the, the book is still in print or not, but Peter Wagner had a book, a little book called Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. I found that little book to, very, to be very helpful to me in understanding the concept of spiritual gifts as taught by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and other passages. Even Peter talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. It also helped me in putting it all together so I was serving Jesus and my congregations with greater joy and much greater effectiveness. The book also gave me permission to try certain things and know how to analyze whether I had a gift for a certain ministry or not. Because it would ask questions like, did you enjoy doing what you were doing? Second graders, no. <laughs> Was I effective in getting the job done? Uh-uh. <laughs> And were others blessed by my involvement in their lives? Not so sure there either. But let's say you have a passion for single mothers. And you signed up for a car ministry. But you knew nothing about mechanics. That might not be a good fit for you. Unless you enjoy cleaning up after the mechanics were done. On the other hand, if you had the gift of helps, you could offer to clean her house or offer to go shopping for her so she could stay home with the children and enjoy them for a few minutes. The possibilities are endless out there, my friends. And your involvement would be meaningful to you and to her. Oh, you could take care of her children so she could go to a holistic small group to enrich her own life and be involved with others, other adults. Hmm. A holistic small group helps you learn to live your life as light in a dark world. NCD defines holistic small groups as growing together in stimulating our minds with God's truth, warming our hearts with his love and that of one another, and activating our hands to change the world around us. Holistic small groups are organized in a way that demonstrate its openness to new people. 
there is always an open chair. And if someone comes in to fill that chair, you go get another one. The group also looks for a group member that enjoys filling in for the facilitator from time to time. And that person just might become the facilitator of a new group when the parent group becomes too large. If it's over 15, it's too big. It's much easier for people, a people group of 10 to share with each other and pray for each other than it is for 15. Each group then will continue and seeks to grow and divide in the same way, thus giving a multiplication effect which helps the, the church grow as new people become involved. It has been said, and I know this to be, a, to be true, that most growth in a Christian's life happens in a small group because each group member gets to share and pray with a group to experience for themselves God's healing in their heart and seeing God heal others around them as James talks about in James 5.16. They also have an opportunity to practice using the spiritual gifts that God has given them, them with each other as real needs surface within the group. When somebody is hurting, you get to put your arm around them, pray with them, help them out where you can. It is a blessing for you to be a blessing to them. Holistic small groups help each member live what I call an inside-out life. It's the abundant life Jesus came to give us because we are living from a regenerated and renewed heart. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs uh, 4.23, guard your heart because it is a wellspring of life. Guard your heart, because life comes from deep down within you. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33, he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Jesus repeats the warning in Matthew 15, 10, and 11. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth. That is what makes him unclean. Well, the disciples were having trouble figuring out what that meant. So they asked him to clarify for them what he meant. So in Matthew 15, 7 through 17 and 18, we read, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. A, a holistic small group helps to make the tree good. And when the tree is good, people around you will see the good fruit that comes from a transformed life and a heart that is filled with the love of God. All eight quality characteristics of a healthy church are needed for sustained kingdom growth, but there are four 
that appear to have a higher impact on the body of Christ as it seeks to minister redeeming love to a world that desperately needs it. My friends, the world out there needs us. And for far too long, I, like you, have been afraid of them. And there are times when I think we just need a fresh vision of our Lord and Savior who says all authority in the heavens and on the earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. And by the way, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. Empowering leadership gift-based ministry, holistic small groups, and loving relationships, which, which is defined as magnetic power of authentic, practical apps, acts of love. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. And when we do these things, my friends, we will see God at work. And we will know that God is working in and through us. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your amazing love for us. And may the loving Lord give you and your loved ones a blessed Thanksgiving. And we are thankful, God, for all that you have done for us through your Son. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to be thankful. And that you'll help us to love deeply those around us. Not to wait until they deserve it. Because, Lord, you know we didn't deserve it when you loved us. And we know that we have the power to love because you first loved us and you put your love within us. And we are so thankful for that. And next Sunday, my friends, we will be celebrating the Advent season. We will start the journey. I'm going to ask you to read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What am I waiting for as we enter the Advent season? In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand for a blessing, would you? Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you as faultless before the throne of his Father in heaven. Be all glory and honor in his church now and forever. And everybody said, Amen. Have a great week and a great Thanksgiving. May your turkey be done just right.